Hello everyone, welcome to Pence Products, Mr. Watson. I am your host, Christian Watson. It is wonderful to be with you guys here today. So my friends, it's just, it's been a while, hasn't it? And as I always mention, I am working overdrive on making sure that the YouTube channel portion of the Christian Watson brand uh, is doing good. If you guys are not, or if you guys are new here, excuse me, <clears throat> I have a YouTube channel. My YouTube channel is called Christian Watson. It's just Christian Watson. You type that in on YouTube, it'll pop up. And I am trying to balance that with my podcast because this right here is a sort of a long form way that I can stretch out and flesh out my thoughts. So I would prefer to be able to do this as well. But right now the YouTube channel is catching on. It's catching on very fast and I appreciate that immensely. And so if you're not subscribed already, please go ahead and subscribe and leave me a comment on one of my videos saying, Christian Watson, I subscribe to you uh, because of Pensa Politics Podcast. You told me to on the Pensa Politics Podcast, and I would appreciate it immensely. If you want to support our production here, you can easily go over to patreon.com slash official C. Watson. That is patreon.com slash official C. Watson, and you can donate whatever amount of money you want to donate. You can donate $10. You can donate um, 15 You can donate as much as you want to donate to help me continue doing the work that I'm doing. Because as I say, always say, our message is dynamite, my friends. You can also follow me on all social media platforms of, at Official C. Watson. That is at Official C. Watson. So today, my friends, we have a few topics at our interest here. Number one, the in, the very insufferable Biden infrastructure plan, which in my opinion is not an infrastructure plan as much as it is a radical idea to reimagine the very basic philosophical precepts of the American experiment under the guise of paternalism. Now, America has had a similar episode of this kind of terror happen in the past, oh, I don't know, the past... 80 or so years, um, first in the form of the New Deal, then in the form of the Great Society. And I'll talk about those two programs somewhat at length and try to relate them and the, the ideas that predated them um, to what we're do, dealing with right now. And I will also talk about Stephen. Uh, comedy is very interesting. I think that comedy can be a vehicle um, to for us to critically challenge ourselves in a way that is less painful because I do believe human beings want to avoid pain. I'm not so sure that happiness is the ultimate goal of life. I think Solzhenitsyn, uh, the great Solzhenitsyn would disagree with that. But I do think that human beings on average do not want to maximize pain in their existence. I think that that is something that we are averse to because in my opinion, it rebels against our our base instinct of self-preservation, which is bound up in our physiology and bound up in uh, uh, the consequences of our natural human liberty. So I want to talk about comedy, and particularly a skit done by Steven Crowder recently that is really making people go angry um, because the skit allegedly um, incorporates a lot of racist tropes. And so I'm going to talk about that skit. And we're going to, to see exactly how we, a thinking person can navigate this very perilous world of, of eggshells and, and sensitivities, uh, valid or invalid. Because in all honesty, we do interact in the world and we have to learn. Now, one of the basic um, precepts of any human self-preservation is going to be learning exactly how 
to act responsibly and behave responsibly in relation to other people. Of course, you first contain that seed of responsibility. It germinates within you. But then when the seed of responsibility um, finishes germinating within you, you have to go over and actually make sure that other people um, are not being negatively impacted, their rights, so to speak, by what you're doing. Now, if a negative impact is simply something as, oh, well, you're hurting my feelings because you decided to go out and wear a dress today and you're a man. Okay, forget that. That person is obviously letting a subjective preference um, become a sort of existential crisis for them. But if the hurting is, hey, you just took my property, we have a tangible harm there that we have to correct. That we have to correct if we're interested in living in a morally uh, just society. So we'll also discuss the Matt Gates incident a little bit. I don't want to spend too much time on it. I, I, I think, I'll just tell you a precursor to my thoughts. I think that it's incredibly unfortunate. Uh, I think that if the allegations are true, I have to say alleged so I don't get sued. If the allegations are true, then it is even do doubly unfortunate. Um, but the fact that these allegations even have the steam that they have right now demonstrates that there has to be something to them, um, especially when the allegations go all the way back to Gates' time in the Florida State House of Representatives. So all that and more on this episode of Pens of Politics with Mr. Watson. Um, so my friends, Joe Biden's going to save us. Joe Biden's going to save us, or at least that is what his new infrastructure plan would, would suggest. An article from USA Today says Joe Biden wants to spend $2 trillion on infrastructure and jobs. These four charts show where the money would go. The description says the plan includes everything from road repairs and electric vehicle stations, public school upgrades, and training for clean energy workforce. So let me just go over some of the numbers here. Joe Biden's infrastructure plan includes a $621 billion in infrastructure spending. Um, it's going to spend about $174 billion on electric vehicles, um, including a network of 500,000 electric vehicle stations using electric vehicle and bus fleets and replacing the federal government's fleet of the diesel transit vehicles with electric vehicles. It would also offer tax incentives and rebates for electric cars. I wonder who benefits from that the most. Musk? And we like Elon Musk on this show. But when a cronyism like this happens, you have to wonder, okay, what's going on? Well, I know what's going on, which is unfortunate to see. It's going to try to fix Amtrak with $80 billion, even though um, public transportation itself is a, different, a, a whole underlying um, set of issues associated with it. It's going to boost infrastructure resiliency to withstand climate-related disasters with $50 billion, $25 billion for quote-unquote miscellaneous um, projects, $25 billion for upgrading airports, $20 billion for improving road, road security, um, allegedly, um, $17 billion for inland waterways, coastal ports, and land and ports of entry and ferries. I can go over and... Um, yeah, I, I, I can go over and just list all the numbers to you guys. And that would probably have you guys saying, oh my, look at all the numbers. It's so expensive. But that's not what I want to focus on. I'm simply listing the numbers so you guys have a context in which um, this infrastructure plan manifests. I want to focus on the phrasing of the infrastructure plan and its alleged aims. 
when you phrase something so sweetly to the ears, you can potentially allow moral calamities to go unchecked. To go unchecked. How is this so? Well, let's actually look at some of the taglines for the bill. So, tagline number one is transportation infrastructure. And the entire purpose of this tagline is to emphasize the government's role in allegedly um, maintaining and improving transportation infrastructure. Now, there is a sort of principal um, fallacy with this. The government does not have an interest in maintaining transportation infrastructure. People in the government have an interest in staying in office. And so, yes, they will presume that the various potholes that litter the American roadways, potholes and all kind of other, um, <laughs> all kind of other uh, damages to the road, it, it, it is to suggest that the government inherently has a need or inherently has an interest in doing and fixing those things. My question is this. These things occur so often. Since the history of public transportation began, or our American railways began, these things have been occurring so, so often. And there are certain places in America where the state, local governments have great roads, and there are other places where the roads are terrible. How in the world do you think you can correct particular instances uh, in America with wide-ranging solutions? Wide-ranging solutions only consider general interests. Electric cars are a general interest of a particular group. You know, the idea that you can just put pour money into the roads and they'll be great is of a general interest to a particular ideological persuasion. Biden's bill is focused on general interests, well, which actively avoids nuance, and that can lead to itself many problems. If, so just from a purely mechanical perspective, if you're trying to fix something, you have to pinpoint the problem and attack it with precision. I don't believe the government has the uh, efficient apparatus, meaning the government does not have the inherent efficiency to do this in the first place. But I do most certainly believe the government could help in an instance, but it can't help in this instance if they're simply applying this to general solution. So you may ask, well, Christian, what's your solution to this? I, my solution to this is simply say, hey, government does not spend money on these things. My solution to this is simply say, hey, Maybe you should partner with private enterprise, or maybe we should try to reevaluate the role of government in American public infrastructure to see if these bills are posing a higher opportunity cost than they could be otherwise. And the opportunity cost, obviously, is going to be the national debt. But the bigger opportunity cost is going to be individual autonomy and self-direction which we'll talk about in a moment. So that's the first tagline. The first tagline assumes in this sort of philosophical system that Biden's erected here, that it is the inherent duty of the government to be involved in the methods by which you get from point A to point B. And the methods by which we get to point A and point B, the roadways are some of the most 
profoundly important and common symbols in our lives. And if the government itself ingrained itself into those common symbols, into those very important things, what happens? What happens is the government is kind of trying, government is actually not trying, it actually is assuming control over a very key aspect of your existence, just in a silent way. It's giving you something. It's giving you billions. It's giving you stable roads. It's giving you this. It's giving you that. This is simply the precursor to the rotten intellectual core of the Biden transportation plan. So tagline two. Tagline two says the quality of life at home. This is how USA Today describes it. And it reads, the largest part of the plan focuses on American homes, school buildings, underground water infrastructure, and broadband expansion. The plan would spend $213 billion to build, preserve, and retrofit more than 2 million affordable homes and commercial buildings. This includes the construction or rehabilitation of 500,000 homes for low- and middle-income owners. An additional 100, $111 billion would go toward clean drinking water, including the replacement of all pipes and service pipes. The plan to decide $100 billion for construction and modernization of public schools, while another $100 billion would be used to build high-speed broadband networks throughout the country. The goal would be the broadband to become universal for all Americans and to drive down costs for internet. Okay, that's not going to happen. If you live in the middle of rural Wyoming, where you're surrounded by, by, by mountains, and you can barely get a signal in the first place, your internet will not be good. You maybe you'll be have to rely on a on a phone's data plan to have internet, but your internet will not be good. You'll never be able to have the luxuries of modern of modern life, streaming, Zoom calling. It just will not operate correctly. I hate to say that, but it's just it, this is simply an attempt. Uh, you know, Vogelin would call this narcissism. This is an attempt to change certain natural truths about the world, or certain natural truths about certain areas of the world. Rather, rather, all with the imprint of a cosmopolitan aspiration. A cosmopolitan aspiration does not take into account the very real stuff of life, the very um, hard stuff of life, the very important stuff of life. This is the problem with Biden. He's trying to bring an idea of heaven into earth while not considering how exactly the heaven would fit on certain parts of earth and how it would not. There are very real things to consider when it relates to this. There are very real things to consider when it relates to this. The plan also caused $40 billion to improve public housing, $18 million for veterans affairs hospitals and clinics, $12 billion for community college infrastructure, and $16 million for, to plug oil and gas wells and reclaim abandoned mines. Okay, um, so <laughs> again... So he's attacking. He's now attacking some of the most profound energy structures of America, which keep our country running. And he's also going after. He's also trying to bolster a sort of result of certain conditions that need not be the way people live. And that result of those conditions is certainly public housing. There's nothing more abysmal, in my honest opinion, than public housing. You know. I think that the reasons public housing exists are reasons that do not that not exist in America. The projects are not a good place to live. People live in the projects, absolutely. I spend a lot of time in the projects, but it's not a good place to live. And to try to simply pour more money into keeping people or trying to maintain that place 
is to, in my opinion, do a disservice. Why not explore ways that you can get people off of public housing and into their own independent houses, um, autonomous and, and self-preserved? Why continue to keep them on the dole? In the Veterans Affairs, the VA has been problem-ridden for so many years. It still is. Pouring money is not going to fix that. So let's go back to the philosophical system here. You have sort of idea that the government needs to be, it needs to imprint its symbol in every single aspect of your public life. Then the idea that's going to take that imprint and it's going to whittle them down towards schools, whittle them down towards energy. Whittle them down. So you go from the very general idea, and this is what Aristotle would say, the very general good to the very specific good. So you whittle it down from the general idea of maintaining the roads and maintaining the infrastructure, and that becomes, okay, since the roads and infrastructure gets you to where you need to go and gets you all these places in society, let's continue to further ourselves, further enmesh ourselves into society. So... Yes, money is the one thing, but the philosophical significance of this bill, how it's laid out, is even more profound. Joe Biden is quite literally trying to restructure the way you conceptualize your life by putting all this money and all these regulations in very particular stations and imprinting the government everywhere. So it goes from the general idea to the more specific idea to more specific ideas. So number three is the research for the elderly, no, care, caregivers for the elderly and people with disability. Um, Biden wants to pump $400 billion to improve access to quality, affordable home or community-based care for the elderly and people with disabilities. It would expand a Medicaid program to make more services available and limited back on it. So again, so again, here is, wouldn't, the problem that Biden's saying here is that Caregivers are not paid a lot. And so I think it's a problem. But there are plenty of caregivers in private service who are paid plenty. There are plenty of caregivers in hospice, people who are about to die, of course, but in hospice who are paid very good rates. Why does Biden, he's posing a false, he's posing not even, he's posing a false solution here. He's assuming, and this, again, this is what this bill does. It assumes the government is the only way to greatness. Government is the only way to excellence. So why a poop? Why a, so when when the government says this false solution, and then en, enshrines this false solution with money, with pocketbook, it seems like it becomes final. Imagine that when some when they, when this grand authority has the gun and is able to use the gun to create a particular kind of plan and and enforce a particular kind of plan then doesn't that authority solution seem um, dominant? I think it does. And reason would tell us that it does as well. And of course, there's more research money going into technology and stuff of that sort. And so, of course, Biden believes he can pay for this by raising corporate taxes. And of course, Biden's plan is buy America and spend in America. And of course, that's going to, he's going to cause a lot of strain for companies if he wants to do that. But in the broader point, it's this idea, endemic into the idea that corporations have to pay this kind of stuff. Endemic to that idea uh, is this notion that corporations owe us more than they give us through their services. That we can impose an arbitrary requirement upon corporations, and they, 
by the use of force, must pay those arbitrary requirements to us because they owe us more than their services. My friends, do you get what you're doing? When, when, when you say corporations need to pay for all this stuff that may or may not be related to them, you're doing a few things, actually. Number one, you're assuming there is a communitarian interest in every single aspect of development of the country, and there's not. There are different, complex, variated interests. Not every part of the country is interested or has the need to have their roads improved because their roads are just doing just fine. Not every part of the country is interested or has the need um, to uh, have electric cars because guess what? They're in the they're in the middle of, of rural nowhere where there are no electric stations. Again, so, so Joe Biden is taking this very general idea of America, taking even more general idea of obligation responsibility, and I, I would I would dare say a morally irresponsible and illegitimate idea of, of responsibility and imposing it upon the people who create the most value and therefore enshrining the government as the parasitic leech that it is. This infrastructure plan, my friends, is nothing more than an attempt to redesign how we see the government and then imprint the government in every aspect of American travel symbolically and then use that symbolism to in, to invoke an illegitimate obligation on the parts of corporations that they may not share in the, have, or have in the first place and then pretend as if he can stay morally consistent with his idea of buying and staying in America, which in my opinion is also a very mistaken idea and that it assumes that if corporations buy and spend in America, Americans will have more opportunities and we understand that not to be the case. We understand that the world is not a zero-sum game and that opportunities abound and they are dynamic and they are boundless. <laughs> so there are just so many fallacies upon which this infrastructure bill are predicated upon. And it is my hope that it, that it fails. You know, a lot of us will say the cost is a lot and guess the cost is a lot. What about the moral cost? We always consider the financial cost, but never the moral cost. What about the moral cost? The moral cost is insurmountable. The moral cost is unacceptable. The moral cost is what is going to literally destroy the ideas that animate our great republic. The moral cost is what we should be concerned about, my friends. I think I said this yesterday. I said this, I said Biden's infrastructure plan enshrines paternalism and false saviorhood as the cardinal tropes of American politics. If related attempts to rescue people by overtaxing, overspending, and presuming to spend their resources better than they can or assign, the plan will fail. We have seen this so many times with LBJ, with FDR, with, with, with even with a little bit with Barack Obama, and with Biden and his stimulus plan. We have seen this so many times. When in almost every case, the solution was allow individuals to use their creative energies to create beautiful things and to be the divinely inspired individuals that they were meant to be, rather than having the government regulate them to hell and regulate them to, to, to mediocrity. That's the solution. And so many of these issues have private sector solutions that Biden does not want to consider. Why not? Because for Biden, the government is much more than a medium by which we ensure our rights are protected and social stability is ensured. No, government is the fundamental organ, the vital organ of every aspect of American society. And if the government fails for Biden, the people fail. It's not a straw man that is indicative in his plans. All right, guys, 
We will be back after this break. Um, just really quick, please be sure to subscribe to Pens Politics on all platforms. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher. Be sure to support us on Patreon. Patreon.com slash Watson. Um, be sure to share the show. Be sure to interact with me on Twitter, all my social medias. Uh, I will see you guys in a moment. All right, my friends, welcome back to Pins Politics, Mr. Watson. So as I was saying about the infrastructure bill, we'll finish up on that in a moment. Um, it's Symbolism can really determine how we see certain concepts in relation to themselves or other, other concepts. The symbolism of Mr. Clean is seen in relation typically uh, against a dirty surface. The symbolism of a car is seen in relation to the road. The symbolism of a dirt bike is seen in relation to dirt paths. The symbolism of a book is typically seen in relation to a study area. Does this mean that these different concepts are necessary to be fulfilled on their own? No, I think the concepts can exist independently. But what I'm saying is, as a practical matter, we typically see the world in relation to different concepts. The, the symbolism of fire, uh, depending on the environment, can be seen in relation to many things. The symbolism of a house on fire is typically seen, that's a bad example, the symbolism of a forest on fire is typically seen as destruction, although it can also be seen as um, rejuvenation and rebirth. And so if the symbolism of the government is involved entirely in the roads you travel on, in the health care you have, and in, 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 in the in the benefits that you get, and in, 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 in even in the cars you drive, then the government becomes a ubiquitous, all-pervasive necessity within society. And so that itself presents a false image of the government. That's why it's so dangerous, because it presents a very false image of what the government actually is. The government is not a necessity for our existence as human beings. The government is simply a medium, a buffer, by which people who have malevolent intentions are meant to be buffered back by the government's force, although automatically giving people force who are still humans leaves open the possibility of those same people being able to use force malevolently. And most of the time, the government uses force malevolently. So Biden is symbolically reframing American epistemology. Biden is symbolically reframing American idea of life. Biden is symbolically reframing our understanding of the government in its proper role, or the government in this new ubiquitous savior role. And this is what, new, um, this is what FDR did. This is exactly what FDR did. We were, people were feeling desperation. They were feeling anger. They were feeling even hatred. They were starving. FDR said, okay, I'm going to rescue you from this. Then I'm going to do a bunch of other immoral things. Like try to sack the courts. Get my cronies everywhere so my agenda can be pushed down the throats of the people. And that's so no, no moral ethical safeguards that are in the Constitution can stand in my way. All because you're feeling desperate. All because you're feeling bad. Biden is justifying this by saying people have been left behind. And other people, the corporations are not paying enough. Again, the symbolism. It's the corporation versus you. It's the your, your desires versus the world. 
and trying to manipulate the world to fit your desires, trying to manipulate others to fit your cause, i.e. trying to manipulate corporations to fit your causes. It's rank Gnosticism, which simply means that it's a way, it's a attempt to re-envision the world in a way it cannot be, ever. And in doing so, it treads upon ethical sense. It treads upon your being as a human being. This infrastructure plan is bad. It's more than just an assortment of dollars towards a bunch of projects that seem overly overpriced or that could be better handled by the private sector. No, no, no. It's much more than that, brother. So that's my opinion about that. Um, but speaking of something that's even a little, that's probably a little bit more consequential, the idea of comedy. So we like to laugh, typically. I think a lot of people do enjoy laughter. I enjoy laughter. I actually enjoy watching. One of my favorite pastimes is watching some stand-up comedians uh, when I'm relaxing and not doing intellectual work. Um, but there is a question as to how far is too far when it comes to comedy in the sense of when you're trying to do political messaging when it comes to comedy, what is the best way to execute the message? I'm not saying what kind of comedy should be acceptable because in my opinion, that's not your determination to make. That's no one's determination to make. That's the determination of someone who is interacting with comedy voluntarily through whatever medium they're seeing it in. Whether it's a stand-up comedian's concert, whether it's a Netflix special, that is my determination to make in my personal life, not a public declaration or public, or public proclamation to make in the lives of everyone else. So I'm not concerned about that. I'm concerned about how to effectively and artfully put forward a particular message. And Steven Crowder has kind of made me question this idea multiple times. You know, Steven Crowder, I've never, I've never been a very big fan. I think the shock value of Steven Crowder's com a comedy, if you could even call it that, is blatantly anti-intellectual. I think that it lowers the level of discourse. It appeals to infantile minds uh, and the minds of people who are motivated entirely by clicks, not enough by, 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 by the clicking together of concepts in their head, just by the clicks of a of, of 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 views on a video. I think that Steven Crowder is just all around. His methods are just bad. The change my mind idea, where he just goes and, and pompously presumes he has the correct answer, which absolutely disgraces any sense of epistemic humility and, and, and presumes himself to be this sort of um, knower of all things. Hey, I have this position, change my mind, and then setting himself against people who obviously do not have either the platform nor the knowledge to engage with him on an effective level, typically. Now, a few times what happens is people who actually know what they're talking about go up to Steven Crowder and they absolutely just tank him and he has to make excuses for himself. But if he was operating epistemic humility, no excuses would be necessary. Think about that. I debate people all the time. I am a individualist. I I have unpopular beliefs. I debate all the time. I don't have to make excuses for myself. Because guess what? I never assume that I'm better than anyone else. I assume that I'm simply growing in this human experiment with everyone else. But when you have that hubris binding your perceptions, blinding you from the light of reason, as Zero Yagikal, the Ethiopian philosopher, would say, as many others would say, when reason is no longer factored into your calculus, problems arise. And hubris is one of those problems, in my honest opinion. So, he recently made a special, and someone um, made me aware of this. I, I didn't know, because I don't follow him too much. 
but a fan of mine made me aware of this. Steven Crowder recently did a, a, a little bit of a comedy skit repurposing characters from Sesame Street to make a broader point about wokeness and uh, to critique the race essentialism um, of the anti-racist crowd. Now, we're going to actually listen to a little bit. Brian, I'm sorry. Brian's the, the head of the Fed by Ribbons Network. Brian, I'm sorry. I hope that this is not too bad. But we're going to listen to a little bit of, of, of what this skit is saying, and I'm going to react to it and, and, and tell you or guide you, hopefully, to a, a, a coherent um, conclusion to this. You can obviously tell yourself what you think, but I think that we do need coherent solutions to this kind of stuff because on the right, we are constantly being reactionary. I mean, this is one of the reasons why I'm not a big fan of some of the things on the right because it is just constantly, completely and utterly reactionary. It is, it is, a lot of our sentiments exist solely in relation to something else. And as I mentioned to you guys earlier, a sound concept cannot be defined solely in relation to something else. It has to have some sustenance on its own. Fire is typically defined in relation to water, um, but fire can still stand on its own. Fire can still exist on its own. It still has enough conceptual material power to exist on its own. It still has enough atomic power to exist on its own. It has, it has enough symbolic power to exist on its own. <laughs> you know, as I was mentioning before the break, or I was mentioning at the, at the top of the hour, um, that is, that's what's going on here. The right has become reactionary. And Stephen Crowder is simply a symptom of that kind of reactionism. And I view Stephen Crowder the same way I view Ann Coulter. I think Ann Coulter is utterly reactionary and utterly anti-intellectual, and she has she has nothing except that which gets her uh, that boasts her book sales and makes her publishers happy. She lives for the thrill, but not for the ideas. And when you live for the thrill, you're binding yourself to a temporal fate, which is why I say, man, I don't do I don't like being someone's token black libertarian or conservative. That's not who Christian Watson is. Christian Watson is a, a, a dynamic unique, complex individual who completely and utterly um, believes in his sentiments and seeks to justify them through the philosophical exhibition of reason and, and the knowledge he's, he's gathered. That's who I am. I don't desire to be someone's reliable, oh, you're a, you a, you a black face who has conservative ideals. Ha, ha, ha. No, 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 no. no not, yeah, yeah, I mean, I am, a, I am a black face who has conservative libertarian ideas. Sure, absolutely. But I'm more than that. I'm a human being who is more than his political preferences. But Crowder has kind of defined himself solely in his political preferences. So, well, well let's get to this because we're about to, we have a little amount of time here. We'll talk about Gates later. Gates, can, he'll come later. Um, but so let's look at this um, Stephen Crowder skit again. I looked at it once and I didn't really think about it. But I'm going to think about it with you guys. So let's, without further ado, let's see what Stephen Crowder has to say. And his comedy. Look, Elmo, the leaves are falling. <laughs> Look, this leaf is red like Elmo's fur. <laughs> this leaf is brown like Wedge's skin. <laughs> red lightly there, Elmo. Oh, Elmo, that's a question. Okay, is, hold Elmo. up, hold up, hold up, hold up. Okay. So you see, you have Elmo here comparing the texture, the color texture of the leaves. Then you have... He was talking to two black guys. You guys can't see this, obviously, but he's talking to two black guys. And one of them says, tread lightly and immediately cocks a gun. And then another one says what it is. 
So you obviously see the stereotypes that are that are happening here, right? Crowder is is philosophically he doesn't know he's doing this. The problem he does not know he's doing this. He's philosophically essentializing race, and then relating that essentialization to a certain deterministic reaction that these two people who allegedly represent blackness or black people are supposed to have. So already Crowder attempting to criticize diversity theory actually embodies the very principles of the same theory he's trying to criticize. (laughs) Do you see this guys? This is why reactionism is bad. If Crowder was trying to uh, criticize diversity theory, as he should, as any thinking person should, then my God, Crowder should actually try not to play on tropes that reinforce a critical theorist idea of what the hell is transpiring in the world. How about that? But no, it's all about reactionary stuff. It's all about clicks. It's all about driving vain appeal. It's not about seeing epistemic humility. And stuff like this just gets me worked up. Excuse me. Let's continue. Elmo, Elmo wants to know why his skin is brown. Oh, I know why, Elmo. My mom and dad told me it's because of melanin. Right, Dad? I ain't your dad. Oh, no. Okay, do you see what that just happened there? The guy, so the black kid says, hey, isn't that right, dad? I'm not your dad, which obviously plays on the idea that black kids don't have fathers. On a statistical level, black fathers do tend to be more absentee than not, but it's still very important to understand that this is not, just because this is the case in certain, data does not make the man, okay? Data does not necessarily make me who I am, or define my conditions. And the idea that we're going to look at data and use data to draw definitive conclusions about the condition of someone is to endeavor in foolishness. It is foolish because everyone is different and unique, and everyone's situation is different and unique. There are general truths, absolutely. There are absolute truths, absolutely. But we should not assume that a black kid doesn't have a father because he's black. You shouldn't assume that. There's no that, that that's not logical. But of course, this skit here is trying. <sighs> Let's just keep going. What's that? Well, melanin is something we each have inside of our bodies that make the outside of our bodies the color that it is. It also gives us a competitive edge in all sports besides swimming. Oh yeah, my! Can't do that. Okay. Well, first of all. This is just ignorant. Melanin does not do this. Um, there are certain, there are certain different uh, races in in Africa. Races, not races. So sort of. um, there are certain different. If you are born in certain parts of Africa, you typically have the bone structure to be a better runner than if you're not. And so you, the, there's a reason, or or in the parts of the Caribbean as well. There's a reason why the Usain Bolt is the fastest man alive. There's something about that. There are certain African runners that are just that just blow everyone out, and kill, including Black African Americans out of the water. So it's obvious that talent is not linked to melanin; it's linked to something else. <laughs> I, I mean, I, I, and the idea that swimming, uh, uh, okay, is it possible that? 
Okay. I don't even know an intelligent way to answer that critique. And obviously people say, well, he's just trying to be funny. He's trying to make a critique of diversity theory by quite literally poking the bear and being somewhat racially insensitive. And that doesn't, that's not, that's an impotent effort. And to, tr to chalk up swimming to melanin, it's just, it's just ridiculous. Oh, okay, let's keep going. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> oh. If we all have melanin, why is Mr. Elijah's skin a darker brown than Wes's skin? Oh, good oh. question, Elmo. Can I just tell you how ridiculous this Elmo impression is? This is absolutely, utterly ridiculous. I, 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 to, to think that people produced this and edited this and thought this would be a good idea to release is absolutely, this shows the poverty of artistic value in the, in the minds of some people who surround themselves with Crowder. Because Mr. Elijah likes fat white asses. Okay, now there's this trope that black guys apparently like women who are, who are voluminous. Again, how many more stereotypes can you just can, can can you just throw down people's throats? There's no, there's not necessarily truth to this stuff. Here's the danger with stereotypes, my friends. It assumes something is true from availability bias. So if a certain person has seen a black person or black people in a particular area do a particular thing, they will assume, oh, okay, black people like this stuff. Therefore, it becomes a general stereotype. So it goes from the particular to the general. And it does so off of availability bias. If you go to Ontario or Vancouver, I promise you, you'll find black people up there that are much more into veganism and vegetarianism than you would in Biloxi, Mississippi. The point is, we form stereotypes off of a sort of uh, incomplete set of data that is then influenced further by a, a, a epistemologically unsound way of pursuing knowledge. That's how we form stereotypes. And for that reason alone, we should kind of askew stereotypes because we do not have this sort of omniscient information that stereotypes assume that we have. Someone said the problem with stereotypes is not that they're wrong, it's that they're incomplete, but the problem is you're making certain conclusions off of incomplete information. So even in your case, Mr. Stereotype Defender, or Mrs. Stereotype Defender, you're doing something wrong. Let's continue. The color of our skin is an important part of who we are. In fact, it's the only thing that matters anymore. That's it. Just you. Elmo's fur is red and soft, and I sleep with a wave cap. Things on the outside. Like our hair color and our noses, mouth, and eyes are hated by the white man. <sighs> That's why we're taking this city back. That's what we're going to do, Elmo. Take it back and give it to the black man. Take it from the evil whites. That's what we're going to do. You in or you out, Elmo? Elmo's an ally. <laughs> Is Melanie where you burned down Mr. Hooper's general store? Yeah, but... That old Oriental's got insurance. Yes, we long for a world filled without anti-blackness, and we do it to dismantle the Western prescribed nuclear family. We're creating our own paradise, like okay. Wakanda. Yes, oh, not nah. okay. There are there's a, there's a few more seconds left in that video. I'm not. We have a little bit of time here, and I'm not. I, I I'm not going to even entertain 
the rest of this nonsense. Wakanda, for those of you who are unfamiliar, is basically the home to Black Panther. Black Panther is the superhero who inspired a lot of a lot of uh, passion amongst African American moviegoers because apparently, according to the woke crowd, um, there's not enough black people in movies. I think that's incorrect, and that shouldn't matter in the first place. But anyway, you can see what Crowder's doing there. He's putting up these stereotypes, these caricatures. He's essentializing race to mean certain things, even if it's a satirical way. And and to do that again is to totally miss the point uh, of, number one, diversity theory, and A, to completely miss a point to effectively criticize it. Diversity theory is, again, predicated upon certain foundational constants that are incorrect. Crowder completely skips over... Um, those presuppositions, he skips over tackling their incorrectness, and he makes his own presuppositions from his from another a similarly narrow viewpoint as diversity theory, which is the use of stereotyping, and then he takes those and he enshrines them into his commentary and presents them as fact. Again, Crowder is embodying the methods of woke theory to beat woke theory, and you don't do that. What did Kendi say? Kendi said in one of the first few pages of How to Be an Anti-Racist that the only solution to past discrimination is present discrimination. The only solution to problem X is another problem. Kendi does not necessarily understand that, of course, you cannot fight fire with fire without starting a conflagration. That likeness begets likeness and not the other way around. And Crowder is kind of embodying the same principle just in a context that is a little bit more forgiving than Kendi's, because Kendi, unfortunately, is not joking, and Crowder alleges that he is, although if he is joking, there's no punchline. If there's a punchline, I don't, I don't get it. <laughs> so I, I think that if you're going to criticize woke culture, be effective, be intelligent, don't be Steven Crowder. All right, so Matt, Matt Gates, we're going to be very clear. We have about three minutes left. I don't know if the allegations are true. For those of you who have been following or have not been following, Matt Gates is alleged to have done multiple things. Alleged to have taken nude photos of his of women who he's had sex with and then showed them and boasted about them um, to people in Capitol Hill. He is alleged to have had a a a a, a contest with um, legislators in the Florida House of Representatives um, to see how many married legislators he could sleep with. He is alleged to have trafficked a child, which is the primary, primary charge coming against him, trafficked a child across state lines for sexual purposes. Matt Gates is alleged to have done a lot of abysmal things. I don't know if these things are true, although I think they have pretty good basis in reality. And here's all I will say about that. We, a lot of people, especially in political life, tend to idolize other people. Matt Gates, by a certain segment of the population, was seen as this sort of brave, strong man of the American movement. A brave, strong man of American principle. There's a reason he was seen that way. Because we don't, because certain people don't realize just how endemic American principles are to their existence. Certain people don't realize just how core American principles are. We don't, some people don't realize that we are America. We are the vision that has been stipulated in our founding documents and lived out through the virtuous men of our history. We are that 
foundational, fundamental constant. We are embodiments of human liberty, which is the touchstone of America. We are those things. You don't have to find them in a politician. In fact, you probably shouldn't look to a politician to find those things, because politicians get caught up in the superfluous minutia of government, which is a which denigrates and um, moves away from the foundational principles of America that I just mentioned that we are. Government is not concerned with those things in this modern day and age. I'm not sure there's been a period in this country where government was truly concerned with those things. Perhaps that is a very, very conception. But then, even during George Washington's presidency, there were problems. There were serious problems in this regard. So, my friends, here's what I would encourage you to do. Regardless of what happened with Matt Gates, regardless, I want you guys to make sure that you are not putting your faith in people. You put your faith in principles. And if someone does not seem or appear to live up the principles as they espouse, and they are unrepentant, let, let, let them go. This is true for politics. This is true for life. This is even true for yourself. You have to let go your past self sometimes to obtain future and permanent greatness. That's my words of wisdom for today. Think on it. As always, my friends, please be sure to support the show on Patreon. And please be sure to subscribe everywhere. But as always, my friends, please, I love you and stay pensive. Bye-bye, guys. Have a nice day.